Now, do you say Klom or? Yes. Okay. So that is the correct, correct pronunciation of your name. It is. Thank you for noticing that. <laughs> Most people do not. There well, are people in the Midwest, though, other Kloms who, who say clam. But I refuse. The German is Klom, so I stick with that. Well, even though I'm Jewish, I'll still pronounce it the correct way. <laughs> of course, the problem, uh, do you want to guess what my last name means? Because you might be able to guess. Clam? Believe it or not, no. Clime? Cli- nope. It means, similar to clammy, it means damp. My last name means damp. It also means ravine, so I try and stick with ravine, but okay. damp. It's the most dep- sad last name. It means broke, I think, in some connotations as well. They're, they're <laughs> it's so really nothing broke. positive. No, nothing positive, really. No, I would, I'd take any other German name. Okay. Well, okay. Any but one other. <laughs> Two others. Okay, so no Hitler, no Goebbels, but any other German last name. Goering? Okay, damn it. Okay, so there are three German last names at okay. least. Braun, just just by association. Schicklgruber? Mmm. <laughs> it's a great sounding name. You have to it's actually it. an Austrian name. Oh, good point. It's a great mm-hmm. sounding name. Mm-hmm. I love that name. Although Heil Schickelgruber just doesn't have any no, power. No, not really. Yeah. Um, so, are we rolling? Names, we are rolling. <laughs> I have Dan Pasternak in the room with me. Thank you for being here. Well, it's uh, my hotel room. Where else am I going to be? <laughs> I do that every time. Uh, do you... Uh, I was going to say it's a colorful name, just because he says that three times on this album, uh, with, the, with that weird... The, the lady's name that he comes up with. So you... Congolia Breckenridge. Congolia Breckenridge, which is fantastic. The voice is great, too. Oh, but, yeah. I mean, but that's that's a big part of this. Uh, we're doing George Carlin takeoffs and put-ons, and your reason for doing this is because this is... Well, it's his first carlin as carlin album it's he did do one album prior to this mm-hmm. which has been re-released many times as killer carlin and uh oh, oh God, i'm trying to th- i'm trying to think of all of the re-releases but it was uh it was burns and carlin yeah. he and jack burns were 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 a double act uh-huh. and it was burns and carlin at the playboy club yes and um if you can find the original release of that, I've been hunting for it for years. Really? I mean, I have the re-release, but that was really the first album. But Takeoffs mm-hmm. and Put-Ons was George Carlin's first album as, as a single act. Yeah. I I hate to say this, but I'm pretty sure I've seen it in stores once. Really? Once, yeah. Oh, my and God. If it was anywhere, it was at Record Surplus on Santa Monica. Or it's on Santa Monica. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've been I'm there. I'm pretty sure that's where I saw it. They have the best 50-cent dollar section on the planet. And I... I that's where I get most of my records. Yeah, I, I, I've been there many times. I it's, love it so much. It's terrific. Um, but I'm pretty sure that's Why are we plugging it. Record Surplus? They're not getting anything from I this. I know. Well, you know, what am I going to do? I got to, you know, maybe one day, you know, they'll... A little bit of, right. you know, a little bit of lolly my way. Right. Um, this is Comedy on Vinyl, the <laughs> podcast brought to you by Record Surplus. <laughs> On wonderful wino radio, wonderful wino. Oh, it's so good. You know, and that's the other thing too is like I, um, his voices obviously are a big part of it. His characterizations are a huge part of it. But he's such a clear speaker. He sounds so much like the guys he's parodying because of his, you know, he just his diction, his the musicality of his voice. Well, the thing is that he was satirizing something that he had been a part of you know right. he he began his career in show business as a dj he mm-hmm. was a dj for i think a good amount of time in shreveport louisiana mm-hmm. so by the time he was doing those bits you know and doing all the commercials that he does on the album um this was stuff he knew well yeah 
you know? Yeah, and I, it, you know, and there's just that <laughs> rhythm to the way he slaps it all together. It's got kind of not a dissimilar energy to like Jonathan Winters, but also the the kind of voice switching too. That's kind of like Lord Buckley kind of stuff, which is like bam, 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 and it's all clearly the same dude, but it's just different enough that it's just so beautiful. It is. It really, really is. There's a musicality to Carlin, and a and a and a poeticism yeah. to Carlin. You know, I think that he he had disavowed this act and this guy by the time he sort of went through the transformation, mm-hmm. which I think first was manifested in uh, FM AM, which mm-hmm. preceded Class Clown, right? R- yes. Yes, it did. Right. And, uh, you know, it, it's sort of a shame to, to kind of let this album be set aside because, mm-hmm. you know, apart from the fact that George did go to this you know, more substantive place mm-hmm. in terms of its sort of sociopolitical content. It's just really funny. It's really funny. And I, there's there's so much of what makes even Class Clown great in this too, though. I mean, there's a lot of the same voices, mm-hmm. same energy, same musicality. You know, that same thing is always there. Yeah. And it uh, that's part of what's always attracted me to him. So, I mean, I don't really, of the stuff that I've heard of, you know, uh, him and him and Burns, like it's you know it's okay. I don't particularly care for it, so it just seems like the t- the one time you launch off on your own, it's there's there's a lot of value to it. Totally, totally. And look, I, I think I, I I obviously want that Burns and Carlin album, of course, for its historical value. Yes, but I mean, takeoffs and put-ons as a as a debut mm-hmm. for George Carlin as a you know as a single stand-up comic performer. It's a terrific debut album. Yeah, yeah, and I don't, you know, honestly, if if you, it's sometimes it's easy. Like I, I just put up a Mitch Hedberg episode. Mm-hmm. It's easy. He's a one-liner comic. There are storytellers like Cosby. I can still, to this day, not really tell you. You know, at some point, there's like the rant comic, I guess, but and maybe that's what he became eventually. But I don't know what you call this guy. I don't. I and it's fine. Well, he went through many transformations for sure. And if you listen to some of the pieces in his, you know real later era mm-hmm. when he's doing modern man yeah and he's doing the advertising lullaby <laughs> i mean that stuff is is poetry yeah i mean that's what it really was mm-hmm. i mean he was like a he was like a you know a, a kind of a, you know a rapper slam poet in some of those uh-huh. kind of things yeah and uh you know i i don't think that george fits comfortably in any one single category. Definitely not, He yeah. was... Look, there were two, like, unbelievably prolific comedians in my lifetime who generated more material than anyone else I can think of. Mm-hmm. And it was Carlin and Cosby. Yeah. Cosby kind of was Cosby right out of the gate. Sure. And he stayed pretty consistent to who he was from the outset mm-hmm. all the way through and to this day. Right. Carlin was constantly reinventing. Mm-hmm. Um... And his process and Cosby's process are very, very different. Sure. Um, but that's just a body of work that I just think no one can touch. Absolutely. And I, and it's worth it, too, for any, for the, for the few maybe pitfalls that were there. For, you know, any album that doesn't necessarily live up to your expectations of a previous one or live up to if you've heard, you know, it's still worth it, you know, for, again, for historical purposes. You, you want to know, and it's worth it to listen to, because anytime he quote-unquote fails, it's never all that bad no i I wrote this piece about uh george that probably by the time this comes out um may be uh up on the mcsweeney site where Mm -hmm. i'm doing this this 
column uh, about my signed comedy LPs. But I said uh, that A Place for My Stuff is my least favorite George Carlin album. Uh-huh. But I said saying that is like saying that Magical Mystery Tour is my least favorite Beatles of album. Yeah. I said it's a pretty high low point. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Is is there something, let, let's talk about that. Is there like a period of Carlin that is your ideal and why? Because I know what I think and I know why I feel that way, but I'm curious. Well, I want to hear yours first. Okay. Well, m- my period of Carlin, and again, I we were talking about this before we started recording, is that I have heard a bunch of this album, not in order, not as the album. Uh-huh. And uh, I really do love this um but <clears throat> the, the one album that i grew up with listening to the most besides the smothers brothers was class clown mm. and because that broke my brain in such a way that's the period of carlin that is ideal to me whereas i know a lot of people that was you know 95 96 that i was listening to this for the first time i was like 15 16 most people i know my age were listening to ponytail carlin to, mm-hmm. you, to, for lack of a better, you know, right, they right, loved right. the anger. They loved that this guy. They all, these are the same people though who loved to listen to Nine Inch Nails, and I didn't. I was just discovering the Beatles, so right. you know, right, to, right, right. to bring it back to that. So that's hippie Carlin, and that's hippies. Not even that does not suffice, but you know what I'm saying. Sure, sure long sure. hair, Carlin is is my favorite, and it's because of the musicality. It's because of. There's, I won't call it innocence, but it's 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 the uh, whatever, whatever well, was, that there atmosphere was, uh, there is. There was a, there was more of a playfulness. There yes. was a sweetness, um, uh, despite I think as much sort of controversy as like seven uh, dirty words that mm-hmm. you can't say on television uh, stirred up. I mean, I think that that was a very sweet Carlin. Yeah. Um, I I personally love that later era Carlin mm-hmm. when he got dark mm-hmm. and. Um, I think he lost a lot of people then, and sure. I don't think he cared. No, right. Um, uh, and I think that was what was as impressive to me as anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Carlin used to say to the audience, you're here for me, I'm here for me, no one's here for you. <laughs> and I love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and my favorite Carlin piece, number one on my list, mm-hmm. is him rewriting the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Yeah, 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 of course. Genius. Hi there, kids. Welcome to the Willie West Show here on <laughs> Wonderful Wino Radio. <laughs> Wonderful Wino. Welcome to the Willie West Show here in a wonderful way to be the weird one that's been a Willie West winging your way with 101 wild and Willie Wedges of wax and crazy wagons to play on the radio right here on Wonderful Wino. Wonderful Wino. 17.50 on your dial just above the police calls, kid. We got stacks and stacks of wax and wax. We got the pick to click the ones to watch the oldies but goodies and newies but gooies. We got the top 700 records here in the world of Wonderful Wino. Wonderful Wino. Let's get started with big rockin' sound now. That great new group from England, the Kansas City Boys. Let's hear them. My baby's dead. My baby's dead. She got hit by a train. Big old train. I'm gonna get that train. Is there something about that tonality that pulls you in, or is it just the, like having watched him evolve that you're like, oh, he got to a point where he needed to be? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: is that I'm sort of the reverse of you. I, mm-hmm. I was, I was experiencing Carlin on the entire journey, mm-hmm. pretty much 
in real time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my my discovery of Carlin was in the seventies, and uh, I tracked him through every every era uh, as he went through it, mm-hmm. and I think that his thinking got deeper and his instrument got sharper Mm -hmm. to me Mm -hmm. um i don't know if everyone is of that opinion and that's great you know uh again not everyone's going to have a favorite beatles album Mm -hmm. but i think all beatle fans will probably say uh that's a body of work that no one's ever going to touch so i think that's probably where you and i'll both come out oh absolutely absolutely because i mean again it's i'm still while i would rather i can more comfortably sit down and listen to older carlin i'm i would never ever deny any of his later stuff because there's always a bit on there too that always pulls me and i'm like i love what he's doing however much of it is character however much of it is actually him uh it doesn't really matter to me uh, because it, there's, it's just there's always a beautiful point to be made, and mm. honestly, with his last album, he ends that so fucking beautifully mm-hmm. that I I remember it because I bought it because I'm like, well, shit, I'm never gonna get to meet the man. I'm so I'm gonna buy. You, you never got to meet him. No, 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 no. I ah, uh, that is one of my great. I have several great regrets, but that is one of them. I got to meet and even work with George mm-hmm. very early in my stand-up career mm-hmm. um as brief as that was mm-hmm. um and that was pretty much the apex of it for me mm-hmm. um and knew him not well but for quite a number of years and had some amazing interactions and experiences with him how old were you when you first met him then how, how when you started stand-up how old were you i was 16 i had feelings around then okay yeah and i was probably a year or two into doing stand-up mm-hmm. when i got to open for him at uh, oh. a place called igby's comedy cabaret uh-huh uh which is sadly no more but uh was in uh west los angeles okay and um did two shows with him mm-hmm. and um Anyway, it was it was really remarkable. Uh, I'm sure uh, I did fine. I was pretty self conscious. I'm uh-huh. really nervous going in, of course. But just getting to say, ladies and gentlemen, George Carlin, <laughs> yeah, you know, sent a chill through me. Uh huh. And then afterwards, we actually hung out and talked for a long time. And then uh, I remember. Uh, he tore a piece of paper off of like one of those flyers that has all of the, you know, the names of the acts coming up at the club, and he tore that piece off and he turned me around and wrote uh, and wrote on my back. You know, he used my back as you know, as the hard surface so that he could write down his phone number. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And he gave me kind of like a you know like a like a cool dude handshake. Amazing. And said, uh, <laughs> says, "Oh man, we're brothers in arms. You call me anytime." Holy shit. And, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> wow, uh, I, I, I just, and, and, and we, we would talk on the phone from time to time. Mm-hmm. And my favorite thing that he would do mm-hmm. uh, is I'd pick up the phone and he wouldn't even say, hi, Dan, or it's George. He would launch in to a story. <laughs> just start right in and it'd be a long story. <clears throat> and I did, there was no context to it. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, um. And I'd say, where is this going? <laughs> I mean, I immediately knew it was him uh-huh. from his voice. I knew oh, immediately course. knew it was him. Of course. 
And it would always be some shaggy dog story that would end in a bad pun. And by bad pun, I mean a great pun. Oh, that's amazing. And then he would hang up. <laughs> and at the first time, I was laughing so hard, I thought, oh, I disconnected. And I called him back. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, we got cut off. He says, no, we didn't get cut off. He says, I always get off on the laugh. <laughs> and, then he, and then I laughed twice as hard at that, and he hung up again. That is fantastic. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's, that's illustrative of... The whole, the man's whole career. This is why he had clearly why he had such a catalog. Why he had to. It's not like I'm going to keep doing this as a discipline necessary. It's like I I he had the shit in him, didn't he? He just had to keep telling stories. He did, but he also had phenomenal discipline. Oh, he sure. Was, he was incredibly like OCD, mm-hmm. and he had an unbelievable work ethic. Yeah. He kept an office with nothing on the walls mm-hmm. where he would go every day and write. That's awesome. That's that's kind of the dream. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, he was phenomenally organized and mm-hmm. disciplined. Yeah, about his work. And I and I, I, that's what I'd like to know as far as getting inside his brain. It's not something that that when Kelly Carlin was on the show, nothing we got to talk about because I mean she wasn't there while he was writing necessarily. Is is I want to know which of those came first. I'm I'm, I'm curious because I mean for me I know yeah, I that my know. severe OCD started as a kid and eventually met up with my creativity and that's when you become like a workaholic comedy person right but i'm curious like is it just like you know like i don't know how are you as far as as you know a worker i mean is it sort of the same kind of thing for you do you have like that yeah i I can't shut off my brain yeah and i i feel like i probably do what i do to almost like, if you ever have a wind-up toy and you just have to let it wind its way down so mm-hmm. it'll stop, mm-hmm. that, I feel like, is the way my brain works, and yep. I'm an insomniac. Okay, yeah. And, uh, I mean, sometimes I sleep, you know, three or four hours a night, mm-hmm. and I'll do that for several nights in a row. Yeah. Um, now, at some point, I get so fried that, you know, productivity then becomes, you get sort of diminishing returns. Sure. And then I'll sleep for ten hours. Of and course. And then, you know find that equilibrium again Mm -hmm. but yeah it's just i I can't tell you the thing that drives me and i certainly can't speak to whatever it was that drove george of course but um whatever it is you know i've at least been fortunate enough to have work that i can channel that into exactly i mean i think i would go crazy if i didn't right exactly i mean you have to both of them you have this wild creativity that's in your brain you don't know what to do with you also have this wild this this kind of insane drive to do something with yourself and when they finally meet that's it's magic obviously it's stressful as hell i mean if you're only sleeping no by the way just because you you have a prolific output doesn't necessarily mean that you know some or most or any of it is going to be any good. Of course. So, you know, it just so happened that George Carlin was a fucking genius. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On top of everything else. Right. Yeah. And I... Now, do we... I, did you ever get to talk with him about... Because I don't know where his love of language came from, but that has probably always been my favorite thing about him. Is... Um, he's spoken about it. You know, the interesting thing is uh, he used the... Uh, the old Irish expression, you don't just lick it off the rocks, <laughs> which I think was sort of his colorful way of saying that I think he felt that it was genetically a part of mm-hmm. who he was. Yeah. And again, Kelly can probably speak uh, much more authoritatively to this, but mm-hmm. but uh, I had certainly heard him talk about how his dad, you know, had 
the gift of gab and was you know a great storyteller and then won like public speaking awards okay and uh you know how his mom was very funny mm-hmm. so i think he felt like it was a genetic you know predisposition yeah um so i'm sure that that's where it came from but he was also a big fan like one of the things that we had talked about is and i think this is one of the things that i i loved about him that i was able to access with him is that he was he was a, he was a super fan and he loved you know all the people that inspired him. He mm-hmm. was a big Lenny Bruce fan. He was sure. a big Danny Kaye fan. Yeah. You know he talked about he how he collected autographs as a kid because mm-hmm. I got him to sign, you know, a bunch of stuff sure. for me. Um, and uh, I had one, uh, probably one of the great sort of comedy nerd moments of my life. There was this restaurant that's I think still in Brentwood called Toscana, mm-hmm. where I, I've. Uh, through several jobs I've had, have had offices in Brentwood and Toscana became a restaurant I'd go to. I, I'd eaten there with, with George once or twice mm-hmm. um, and I'd run into him. It's on San Vicente. Uh, I'd run into him on the street there uh, every once in a while. So I, I was having lunch one day in Toscana with, of all people, Stan Freeberg. Mm-hmm. And who's sitting alone at the next table but George. <laughs> and George comes over and he's a like a super fan of Stan Freeberg and begins doing the Peter Leeds part of uh, the Banana Boat song. You know, Deo was like, no, man, it's too loud, man. It's too piercing. And he starts doing this whole bit and then tells the story about when he was a DJ in Shreveport, how he almost got fired for playing Stan's record, Green Christmas. Do you know the oh one? My God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he said he played it over and over and over. And ah. the station manager said, if you play that again, I'm going to fire you. And, you know, I think he was, you know, a pretty defiant guy even of back course. then. And he said, no, man, this is the most moral record that's ever been made. And he told the story to, and just gushed all over Stan that's Freeberg. amazing. And he was a huge fan. Yeah. And just sitting there with Stan Freeberg. While George Carlin is doing Freeberg for Freeberg, mm-hmm. I mean, it was an out-of-body experience That's for me. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, the big hand is on the four, the little hand is on the two, and it's time for the six o'clock report. <laughs> Here are the headlines. Johnson sends Humphrey abroad. <laughs> We'll have full details in just a moment, <laughs> including some wild films after this word about your breath. Say, nurse, what was the name of that good-tasting red mouthwash the dentist gave me? Oh, that was Muscatel. He's a wino. <laughs> now back to the news. Well, the world breathes a little easier today as five more nations have signed the nuclear test ban treaty. Today's signers were Chad, Sierra Leone, Upper Volta, Monaco, and Iceland. <laughs> The House Un-American Activities Committee these days is busy investigating the Ku Klux Klan in Washington. For that story, here is Rod Bernard in Maine. (laughs) Rod? Hi, Dan Thomas here at Yellowstone National Park. (laughs) Congressman today called on the leader of the Klan, the grand, exalted, imperial, almighty, invincible, omnipotent stomper. (laughs) Unfortunately, his wife wouldn't let him out of the house today. Obviously, for the comedy nerd part of it, but, like, it also makes me think, you can hear that in here. You can hear Freeberg in here. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it's arguable that the Indian Sergeant thing 
is it, it's a very Freeburg bit, and it yeah. reminds me of a lot of the stuff on uh, the uh, shit. It's such a long title. The United they, States of America. Stan yes. Freeburg presents the United States of America, Volume, volume one. one. Yes, thank you. Which is so fantastic, but you know George Collin doesn't have Paul Fries to back him up. He's there just doing. He's the, the whole, whole company. Thing. It's so good. Yeah, learn. Doesn't have Dawes Butler. Doesn't have you know <laughs> June Foray would have been Congolia Breckenridge. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But oh. So uh, that when he keeps saying learn clot over and over again, that is one of my favorite bits. Yeah. And it's and it's kind of I mean, for lack of a better word, kind of quaint. Because again, it's not necessarily the most socially challenging bit, although I really love that there's not one stereotypical Native American voice in it. The PC part of me is like, that's great. That's so open-minded. But it's just, that's because that was the funniest damn thing to do. No, the interesting thing is it's almost a themed album because mm-hmm. every piece on it really is taking on sort of familiar material from media. Yes. Radio, mm-hmm. commercials, game shows, you know, Al Sleep, the Hippy Dippy Weatherman. It's everything on this album, if I remember it correctly, and I, 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 it's pretty much burned in my brain, mm-hmm. um, is all something from TV, film, or radio. Yeah, and he and he had, uh, you know, and it wasn't necessarily even just tongue in cheek. There's a lot of just straight out sarcasm, which in '66, when he records this, was not necessarily uh, the thing to be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there, there there were other ways of parroting. There are other ways of doing satire. I mean, again, Stan Freeberg had his own way of doing it, but this is like his own. Like, here's how I'm going to take on the same similar kind of stuff. I mean, sure. he's sitting there riffing on songs that he probably did improvise one day, one day, but also you know eventually turned them into a thing that he does every time. But like, oh, all the songs in Wonderful so Wino, good. <laughs> I love them. Yeah, I mean. I've seen on, I forget if it was Sullivan or The Tonight Show, when he does the bit and he does that song, Jenny. <laughs> yes. And all of the parts of it, you know, that are all, he's singing all of the instrumental parts. Mm-hmm. And then the only vocal is at the end where he goes, Jenny. <laughs> and, you know, the crowd goes wild. Mm-hmm. And it's cl- what's clear is like, while I get a lot of, what he's referencing, and I understand, like, I mean, I grew up just in time to catch the last tip of those kind of DJs existing, sure. you know, and my my wife's father was a DJ too, so, like, I've always kind of been fascinated with that kind of stuff, but there's, you know, for as specific as some of it is, uh, none of it really seems to go over, at least not my head, you know, I mean, I get mm-hmm. what he's doing each time, and it's... Uh, there's this kind of thing. Did you ever have you ever watched any of the old Phil Silver shows? You mean like Bilko? Yeah, sure. Okay, there's a bit, and it, this is what I always think of when I think of people parodying rock and roll at the time. There's 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 an episode where there's basically an Elvis type character who comes in uh-huh. and he comes to Fort Baxter, and when Phil Silver's, while it is hilarious, does his impression, shaking his hips, and like is clearly like trying to take the piss out of rock and roll it's still one of the dumbest things i've ever seen but when i listen to carlin do it he's so hip that it's like you know he can still do it he doesn't cut just enough that he's not square you know it's still goofy but it's not square yeah no i mean carlin was a hip guy in you know square clothes Mm -hmm. that's it he just he wore a suit he had you know a short haircut and he was clean shaven Mm -hmm. but um I mean, when he was Al Sleet, the hippy-dippy weatherman, you know, it's so funny because you listen to it and you pictured Carlin with the long hair and the beard, yeah. but he was doing it when he was, you know, uh, you know, a much uh, 
cleaner cut guy. Yeah, which I think it, I, I like that juxtaposition better. It works more. It, mm. I mean, again, obviously he eventually dropped that because he didn't need to do that guy anymore. But that, I mean, how many shows did he? There's probably a whole year where every show he went on was Al Sleet, Al Sleet, Al Sleet. Oh yeah, you know? I've seen a bunch of old Flip Wilson shows. Yeah, where, where he did Al Sleet. Mm-hmm. It's, look, it's a great character. Hundred percent. Yeah. And I mean, there's, I remember too, doing a little bit of research, uh, you know, a, a while back and seeing what other people's opinions were of when he changed over, when he got more counterculture, but this is, there's, I mean, you know, he's still making pot jokes on this, on this album. It's not entirely unCounterculture. There's, like you say, it's simmering there. It's getting ready to pop out. Yeah, no, I remember when Al Sleet did a commercial, says, uh... Hey, uh, I forget the bit now, and I, I, I'm so loath to now as we're talking about George do it, but it's like, uh, you know, do you have, uh, you know, uh, beetles, water bugs, and roaches? <laughs> he says, well, whatever the product is, will kill the beetles and the water bugs, but we'll let you keep the roaches. Right. <laughs> you know, yes, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, I'm sure, by the way, the way he got away with doing that mm-hmm. on TV He's probably the censor had no idea what he was talking about. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting is I think I heard Steve Allen talking about how Lenny uh, on The Tonight Show got away with doing the airplane glue bit Mm -hmm. and talking about how kids were sniffing airplane glue to get high. And he said the only way they got he got away with that is the censor had no idea. Like, like (laughs) he thought, oh, that's cute. It's absurd. He's, you know, they're sniffing airplane glue. He might as well be sniffing a pineapple. Like they didn't didn't get (laughs) they were, you know, oh, inhalants are like another way to like, you know, get high. Which is why there's no way to even good guy i mean i know censorship is is not nearly what it was although mm, arguably but you know it's yeah there's 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 no way to get get around that anymore you have to just go to cable so that you can say what you want anymore mm. i suppose do you have a what, what's your favorite bit on here if you have is it i mean is it the indian sergeant or um i think it's probably wonderful why no okay because i just think it's such a densely packed bit the turns in it all the pieces of it. It's just, to me, it's a balletic piece of performance, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and yeah, even though you're right, that sort of, that DJ and those sort of genres of music, you know, aren't in our culture now. Yeah, I don't think it goes over your head because it's just so damn funny. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the tropes are accurate because I grew up listening to that that music too. So, I mean, they are pretty much perfect. Um I, I, I'm curious, you know, I mean, there must have been just a part of him that's just kind of waiting to get that out, too, which is, it's it's perfect for him. You know, I did this, I, I need to just put this down as a kind of a record of who I am in a, in a way, you know? Mm. Um, let's see. But yeah, you're right. Every every bit in this is, is uh, you know, poking fun strongly at media. Do you, now, when did you first hear this album, though? Gosh, um, I mean, I don't think I got this album when it first came out, because I think it actually came out before I was born, Mm -hmm. but um, I got hip to Carlin, I would say, was nine, ten years old, Mm -hmm. Uh, so that would probably be around 77, Mm -hmm. Um, so by... 1980, 81, I had all the albums to that point. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of pre-place for my stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, 
there's probably about six or seven albums to that point. Yeah. And I can't tell you in what order I had gotten them. Sure. Um, but I definitely did get the sense that, oh, this is the first album. And seeing the transformation in, uh, you know, AM and FM and then Class Clown, it's like I was kind of OCD as a kid, too. So I put mm-hmm. them in the order in which they were of released course, and then, course. like, listen to them in that order and, <laughs> you know, and sort of in my mind go, okay, this is the evolution of this guy. Like, yeah. I was actually pretty analytical about that. That's stuff. awesome. But, um, but yeah, I as a kid was such a fan of just how funny he was that um, I don't know that at what point I became aware that he sort of set this guy and this material aside. Sure, um, it's I just didn't. Right, you right, know? absolutely. Do you still have those original albums? I mean, has your All collection continued since then? Oh yeah. I mean, I, that's one thing we didn't bring up is that you are a big comedy vinyl collector. I mean, that's, huge. You know, huge. Um, much to my wife's chagrin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my wife and I have been together since we were in college, and I remember her walking into <laughs> the house that I was living in at that time where she wound up moving in with me, and I remember her walking, sort of sweeping her arm across, you know, walls of this little house that I was living in at the time, and she went, oh, this crap's got to go. <laughs> um, that was a that was a real negotiation for me because, you know, I'm, uh, I, I am, uh, at least for the things that I love, I'm, I'm kind of a hoarder, mm-hmm. and especially mm-hmm. with my comedy vinyl, it's precious to me. Yeah. Um, there's memories attached to sure. every one of these things, and riding my bike to, you know, Rhino Records on Westwood Boulevard mm-hmm. when it was there, because I, I grew up here in L.A., um, you know, it was a it was a pilgrimage, and going through those bins, you know, and finding either the new releases, sometimes not even knowing what they were, sure. or going through even better, sort of you know the dollar bins mm-hmm. and finding something that just looked weird and mm-hmm. crazy. It's like I don't know what this is, but I want to hear it. A hundred percent, yeah. And I have most of that stuff. Hi, Dick Hall. We're standing outside a supermarket in Teaneck, New Jersey. We'd like to find if the average housewife can tell us which pile of laundry is the whiter of the two. Let's find out. Pardon me, ma'am. What is your name? Mrs. Wilson. (laughs) Tody Wilson. (laughs) Tody Wilson finds a colorful name. Tell us this, Mrs. Wilson. Do you feel that one pile of laundry is whiter than the other? Oh, yeah, certainly. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. No, definitely no, yeah. One of the piles is definitely is whiter than the other one. Brilliant, just brilliant. <laughs> Which pile of laundry would you say is the whiter of the two? Uh, the blue pile. <laughs> no, dummy, it's not the blue pile. No, then it would definitely would be the white pile, yeah. Say, when will this commercial be shown on TV? Not for a long time, Mrs. Wilson. (laughs) The thing that I started doing, pretty much from the beginning of sort of my time of kind of stalking the Dr. Domeno show, Mm -hmm. is I just tried to get as many of these records signed by the artists and probably have, you know, a couple hundred Mm -hmm. signed albums from the artists. Um... You know, I mean, I remember getting Dr. Domeno to sign his first two vinyl compilations. Oh, those are so good. You know, 
Dr. Demento's Delights and Dr. Demento's Dementia Royale. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Getting Doodles Weaver to uh, sign uh, his Fiedelbaum Returns album. Oh my god, really? You have two signed copies of that. That's so funny. Um, Yeah, and uh, getting all the guys from the Ogdenetzel to sign both editions of their album. It's original release, which was called Stuffed, Uh and then there was a re-release um, that included Kinko the Kiddo Loving Clown mm-hmm. and having them sign <laughs> that album as did, well. Did they give you a look? They're like, this is the same damn album. Do you want to... Say, I mean, was this a thing that was... Did this weird people out before collecting was so mainstream? Can I tell you, I probably freaked more people out than I was ever aware of. Sure. sure. And I'm sort of glad that I was probably oblivious because... It kept me. It w- if I if I really would have become self conscious, and mm-hmm. which I sort of did become later, and um, I missed a lot of opportunities to get signed stuff as I was, you know, growing older and getting more self conscious, and then sure. really starting as a professional and you know trying in vain to maintain a professional facade. Oh, right, working with you know these kinds of notable people whose work meant something to me. But in those early days, you know, being oblivious <laughs> helped me get a lot of great. Additions to that collection. That's so good. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you're still doing it. I mean, you know, you're you're a professional in the comedy world, to say the least, and you still like to find. I mean, you just showed me a bunch of records that you're going to get signed by people who are, you know, relatively new in 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 the scope of the things that you own. Yeah. Well, the thing that I'm loving, and the reason I love that you're doing this podcast is, um, and and I think the reason that I, I feel like whatever it is you know that I'm, I'm putting up on McSweeney's now about my comedy vinyl is that there's this resurgence there's this resurgence of interest in the old stuff and there's um, this reinvigorated uh, interest for the consumers and the artists to press new vinyl yeah I mean I'd always said sort of the the heyday of comedy vinyl sort of begins with like Mort Saul in mm-hmm. the early mid 50s and ends in sort of the mid to late 80s. Yeah. Um, Like, I think of sort of, like, the last great comedy LPs I remember buying were, um, when they were in original release, was, like, Stephen Wright's I Have a Pony. Uh Uh-huh. Which was in the 80s. Yeah. Um, And then suddenly, guys like our pal Dan Schlissel at Mm -hmm. Stand Up Records started pressing Lewis Black and David Cross and Patton Oswalt. Mm -hmm. And now, I'll tell you, most artists of any note are pressing vinyl. Yeah. And it's back with yeah. like a like a vengeance. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And I love being able to now put Pat Oswalt and Jim Gaffigan and uh, Eddie Pepitone and uh, Sarah Silverman up on the same wall with these guys. Because yeah. by the way, some of these artists are... Greats for the ages. For sure. You know, uh, I just, uh, uh, you know, dropped off uh, uh, the vinyl pressing of uh, Louis C.K.'s Oh My God off at his manager's office uh-huh. while I was here in town. Because it's like, C.K. belongs on that wall. Uh-huh. uh-huh. He absolutely belongs on that wall. 100%. He, he is one of the greats for the ages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it, is it, do you, okay, so let's, let's get into another thing, though, is do you like vinyl because of the sound? Do you like it because of the large format? Do you, what's specifically about vinyl? Or is it just because you've always collected it and you prefer it? Just I think all of the above. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's funny. Carlin, 
getting back to George, mm-hmm. <clears throat> even when the format switched to CD, mm-hmm. kept having vinyl pressed for himself mm-hmm. because he said, uh, I don't like having my collection of my own stuff drop off like, boom. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because I think he felt like, no, it started in this format and I want all of it in the same format. Yeah. You know, that again, probably was the OCD. He liked the continuity of it. Yeah. And I like that. But I do think, inarguably, vinyl is a warmer sound, Mm -hmm. even with some cracks and pops in there. Sure. Um, You know, just the compression uh, that exists in digital audio, Mm -hmm. it just, it's a little soulless to Mm -hmm. me. And it's the soul of the comic that you're connecting with, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's so funny because I've had people kid me like, you know... It's comedy. It's not like this is, you know, a Philharmonic or, <laughs> right. or like the Beatles where you need to listen to, you know, the brilliant, uh, you know, the pr- brilliant producing of George Martin. Right. But it doesn't matter. It's just to me, it's like a warmer sound. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I also, I just have affection for it and nostalgia for it. Sure. It's what I grew up with. It. Uh, but it also sounds like a, you and I are on the same page in that a bargain bin record is still a good record if it's something that you've been looking for for a long time. Right? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, I have so many that sound like complete shit. I mean, I, I was upset because I've had this one for a few months now, uh, but I was upset to find out there was no inner sleeve, and that is why, like, I'm actually surprised. did not skip once on my recording of it, but uh, it looks like shit. <laughs> you know, every once in a while, you know, uh, but I still, I... I'm fine with that, you know. Like I'm, I'm trying to digitize my whole catalog because I like having them there, and I'd rather listen to most of the most of these. In just well, the, you know, what you can do is you can see if you can find a pristine original pressing. Because mm-hmm. by the way, we need Jason to point out mm-hmm. that your edition of Takeoffs and Put On, oh, yes, is the re-release is the re-release um, that was put out with George yeah, with the long you? hair and the beard, uh, the artist rendering of him on the cover, the more familiar. Ah. Uh, post-transformation, George, mm-hmm. because the original release has this called kind of multi-panel black and white um, uh, photo array of George mm-hmm. as he appeared when he recorded the album, which, of course, was the clean-cut, you know, suit-and-tie George. Yeah, and this is five years later when everybody knew him as this guy. So if you want a cleaner copy mm-hmm. with an inner sleeve, yes, you know, go and hunt down the original release because... You know, I need everybody to be completist the same way I am. Of course, understandable. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. So, what was uh, what was the first comedy album that you were exposed to? I mean, were your parents collectors? What was the? I don't know. That my parents were collectors. Uh-huh. I think my parents were um, very culturally curious. Okay. Um, the interesting thing is I actually turned my dad on to George Carlin. Mm-hmm. I think my dad's takeaway, my dad was a bit older. You know, my dad was 47 when I was born. Really? Okay. Uh, and they turned me on to a lot of older stuff, and I was like into a lot of like old-time radio and mm-hmm. was like a big Jack Benny fan. Yeah. You know, a lot of this came through my parents. I'm relating but... to all of this too well. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, yeah. I love old-time radio shit. It's my favorite. But... Uh, but uh, I think my dad's takeaway on George was that he he was a dirty comic. Uh-huh. And um, before my dad passed away, it's interesting, I interviewed my dad um, 
you know, on camera, I did a lengthy interview with him so I could get his whole life story, yeah. which I'm so grateful. I, I did this for both my parents before they passed away. And, um, you know, I had really tried to hit my dad to George because my dad, my dad spoke like seven different languages and was wow. an interpreter for Nazi POWs in World Holy War II. shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <clears throat> and language was a big thing for my dad. My dad loved language mm-hmm. and he was a, a real voracious reader. And I said, you really got to approach George by appreciating the language. George is the most astute scholar Mm -hmm. of the language we speak. And when my dad sort of brought that perspective to his kind of reintroduction to George, Mm -hmm. when I interviewed my dad, I said, so what makes you laugh? And he said, you know, great comedians like Lenny Bruce and George Carlin. And I went, like, that just made my heart swell because Uh I said... Wow, that was because of me. That's awesome. So in answer to your original question about sort of like what was the first comedy record, mm-hmm. um, there were a few that I had. Um, like I had uh, a Bill Cosby, Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids okay. album. All right. But the first one I remember stealing from my parents <laughs> was an album called um, The Comedians. Uh-huh. <laughs> inauspiciously enough just uh-huh. the comedians and by the way the cover was as generic as that title uh-huh. it was literally a white cover with just the names of the uh, the comedians sort of in print no pictures nothing <laughs> I mean it looked like literally something that you know uh, like it just came from like generic records um, <laughs> what? but it had amazing stuff on it okay and so the comedians on the comedians and I think I can still remember all seven was um, or were Jonathan Winters okay Red Fox Joan Rivers uh, uh, oh Lenny Bruce mm-hmm. um, oh god um, Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner oh Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, God. I'm trying to remember all of them now. Um, Rodney Dangerfield. Mm-hmm. And I'm blanking right now on who the last one might that be. That is a weird combination of people, though. What was on here? Yeah. Um, the Lenny, the first Lenny bit that I heard, I believe was, and I haven't gone back to this album in years, was uh, Father Flotsky's Triumph, which... Interestingly, if you listen to it, is kind of in the same mode as a lot of stuff on takeoffs and put-ons. Because mm-hmm. it was Lenny doing a prison movie, right. doing all the characters. Mm-hmm. And you can see, I think, the Lenny influence from bits like that in the early Carlin and takeoffs and put-ons. Yeah. Because it is acrobatic as he goes from character to character. I often now, forget that he ever did that kind of stuff, too. Yeah, I mean, I think people forget the breadth of what Lenny did. Mm-hmm. Um, who was also a great storyteller, who also did a lot of, like, media satire kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I love that bit. So that, I think, was the first Lenny piece uh-huh. I ever heard. Well, that's it from the news desk for the latest in sports. Here's Biff Burns in the Sportlight Spotlight. Good evening, sport fans. <laughs> Biff Burns here in the Biff Burns Sportlight Spotlight. Spotlighting sports in the Sportlight Spotlight. <laughs> In the Spotlight Spotlight tonight, first of all, a baseball trade. The San Francisco Giants today traded outfielder Willie Mays to the New York Mets in exchange for the entire New York Mets team. (laughs) Giants will also receive $500,000 cash, two Eskimos, and a kangaroo. (laughs) 
Only one baseball game today, and this is a final. St. Louis 5, Cincinnati 3, Chicago 1. <laughs> Quickly, now the basketball scores because we are running late. 110 to 102, 125 to 113, 131 to 127. And in an overtime duel, 95 to 94. <laughs> what? That was a squeaker. <laughs> oh, and here's a partial score. Pittsburgh, 37. Mm. I mean, it's sort of in the same mode as, if you know, Thank You, Masked Man. Uh, yes, yes, okay. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was... <laughs> It was Lenny doing those kind of bits that I think I can hear when I listen to George doing the stuff on takeoffs and put-ons where I can go, yeah, see see the direct lineage? Mm-hmm. Um, at least in that kind of stuff. By the way, in the sort of sociopolitical stuff, obviously, and of course, and that exists sort of in that thread of both of their work as well. Um, what else was on the album? It was the Brooks and Reiner thing was a 2,000-year-old man piece. Fair, sure. Um, the Jonathan piece was a, a Maud Frickert piece. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, it was it was a great sort of uh, sampler platter. Yeah. Of all of these people, and I remember seeking out full. Oh, the last one was Buddy Hackett. Really? The last one on that album was Buddy Hackett. Uh-oh, was it him doing the waiter? It wasn't the Chinese waiter. <laughs> oh, okay, waiter. good. Although I love the Chinese waiter piece. Now, I mean, it's <laughs> wildly politically incorrect. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But, um... In terms of a bit, it's... Yes, but I think it was a story about him when he worked, um, like, as a busboy in the Catskills. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how he was, uh, trying to get laid to clear up his pimples. <laughs> I mean, by the way, I haven't listened to this album in years, but each of these cuts uh-huh. kind of um, put a little germ of something in me and mm-hmm. want, made me want to seek out full albums by every single one of those artists, and I did. Yeah. And I think I stole that album from my parents when I was seven or eight. It's hilarious. And by the way, it's so funny because you think about the references, like in Lenny's, uh, you know, Father Flotsky's triumph, um, you know, when the the prisoners are uh, negotiating with the warden, and the warden says, "All right, Dutch, we'll meet all of your demands except the vibrators." And I'm like, I don't know what I what must have thought that that meant at seven or eight years old, but I knew it was funny. I knew it was funny. Holy shit! Yeah. Oh my god, that's like listen because I remember maybe the first comedy album I ever listened to was actually on tape. It was a Billy Connolly uh, best of, mm. and he's talking about marital aids, and I'm like, it sounds really funny. I don't know what a marital aid is, but that sounds. I can tell it's a sex thing, I, but I don't know what he means. And yeah, I, those. And it's what's also funny too about that is is how often people freak out about having their kids hear quote unquote dirty comedy. But I listened to all the shit. Didn't what, what did it do to me? It just made me appreciate it later in life. You know, right? <laughs> and and honestly, the interesting thing is, I think there's much worse ways for kids to become aware of these things that exist in our society Absolutely. than learning them through comedy, yeah. which to me is like the softest gentlest most user-friendly way to learn about stuff yeah no i'm not gonna play sam kinnison for my seven-year-old daughter just gonna bring up kinnison yeah Yeah. (laughs) i mean i'll wait till she's eight of course (laughs) there's time of course Yeah, yeah absolutely um yeah it also makes me think of like 
probably my favorite line. I was talking with my wife about this earlier. My favorite Carlin line ever is at the end of Seven Words, and it's only because it condenses that entire bit into, you can prick your finger, but don't finger your prick. That just says the whole fucking thing. I just hit your lamp. I just get so excited it's that I hit your mine. lamp. It's not It belongs you to the hotel. It, they're going to charge you for it. I'm also going to steal your robe if that's okay. Um, but, you know, it, <laughs> you may want to wash it first. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it condenses the whole bit into just a sentence. And that is just, that's the magic of Carlin, that he knew what he was doing. It does, But I didn't notice that when I was 16, but I got to be 20, 22, and I'm like, holy shit, he just said everything at once. You could hear that, and you'd know exactly what he had just been talking about for the yeah. last seven minutes, eight minutes, however long it is. Um, man. But that's the other thing, too, is he, he was very picky, obviously, about word choice, but I, 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 I see and read and speak to some comedians who don't really care about word choice. And mm-hmm. I, I often wonder, I mean, obviously it's a personal preference thing, but I, I feel maybe it is an OCD thing where it's like, I, I can't be comfortable unless I know this is quote unquote right. You well, know, look, every artist and, you know, we are at a point now where I think people understand that comedians are artists as precise as, you know, fine sculptors and sure. painters and poets. Um, and, you know, there are some you know, abstract artists that, uh, you know, whose, uh, uh, who, whose work, uh, is less disciplined in terms of its creation. And it's mm-hmm. about, you know, passion and energy and, you know, color and contrast. And then there are some artists that are all about real precision. It's the same thing in comedy. George mm-hmm. was, a, you know, uh, someone who crafted every word. There was nothing random. There mm-hmm. was there was nothing extraneous. There was nothing out of place. Yeah. Um, and then there were some performers, and I think uh, Pryor was this way, mm-hmm. and, and and Klein was this way, and even Lenny was this way, um, where they, you know, you got the sense that they did a lot of writing on stage, and they would never do a bit the same way twice. And yeah. It was about being in the moment and being very free form. Um, and then there's everything that exists in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, you see like someone like Jerry Seinfeld. He's an incredibly precise sure. craftsman. Yeah. Um, and I, I can appreciate all those different styles. Yeah. Yeah. Do you... Okay, let's uh, talk about... Do you have like a, a recent favorite vinyl release? And is there a reason for it? Is it like the art? I'm just curious because you, you seem... You get everything. I'm sure you get everything. I don't get everything. everything you love. I mean, I get everything I love. I mean, I indulge myself. This is, and the thing is, is uh, I was just having breakfast with uh, our friend Jeff Abraham the other mm-hmm. morning, and he said it's a pretty low bar to entry. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, you know, it's not like I'm, you know, Leno or Seinfeld buying classic cars. Mm-hmm. You know, the, you know, the most expensive vinyl release today is going to cost you what, twenty bucks? Yes, thirty bucks? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you wince at that, but I'd like. Yeah, no, no. I mean, no. I think that's reasonable. I think it's more than reasonable. Yeah. I, no, I'm just, I was just thinking of one that I really wanted to buy recently that's much more expensive, just because it's ancient. But oh, uh, what's that? How to speak hip. Every uh-huh. time I see it on a wall, it's eighty dollars. Yeah. And although, I, again, I'm going to plug Taylor Jessen again. He did a beautiful job just fixing up a digital copy, and it's fucking gorgeous. So I'm happy to have that in my possession. But so I have it. I've heard it. I love it. But I would very much like to have that piece. Um, 
look, I'll, I'll I'll tell you that I just got a box of stuff from Dan Schlissel at Stand Up Records, mm-hmm. and I'm delighting in the stuff that he just sent me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I also just bought Sarah Silverman's "We Are Miracles," which mm-hmm. just came out on Sub Pop, and uh, you know, I just listened to that. And so, by the way, when you buy these vinyl, you know, releases now, of course, they come with a digital, digital download, download, yeah, um, which is hilarious <laughs> to mm-hmm. me. Um, and I'll get the digital download because you know it's just easier to put on my iPhone than like putting it. I, I have one of those kind of turntables where I can digitize stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I do a lot of that. I'm weird. I'm just a <laughs> freak. I'm saying all this stuff out loud, and I'm realizing, <laughs> my God, I can't believe I've been married for 21 years. <laughs> I was um, gonna say your wife hired me. This is an intervention. <laughs> it should be. Oh my God. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, a bunch of the stuff that I've gotten, I you know, I think getting CK's Oh My God and yeah. getting Sarah's, you know, uh, We Are Miracles, because I think both of them are two of the all-time greats of all time mm-hmm. in stand-up comedy. Yeah. Um, I wish Sarah would put Jesus' magic on vinyl. Sure, of course. You know? She's gorgeous. Uh, huh? It's a gorgeous... It is, that, that it everything's is, amazing. Yeah, it's it's spectacular. Mm-hmm. It is. It's breathtaking. But I also think the way Sarah has evolved as an artist, one of my favorite bits ever mm-hmm. by anyone is on We Are Miracles, where she talks about um, the uh, you know the Make a Wish kids, mm-hmm. uh, and he's and she said, yeah, I'm pretty sure if you ask those kids, their first wish would probably be to not die. <laughs> Wouldn't it be more accurate to call it Make Another Wish? (laughs) Isn't that breathtaking? That's amazing. That's upsettingly good. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, that is a bit. Put it it on the wall next to any line from any comedian ever. Mm -hmm. It it belongs in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And she belongs in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I, I love, like I said, I like a bit that can somehow condense a huge chunk of the human condition into something that small. Yeah. And right now her sister is at the rear of our stage behind the curtain. We'll reunite these two loved ones here on Truth or Penalties. Don't let on, aren't we devils? Okay, cool. Now here she comes out. <clears throat> Next contestant, please. And your name? Tondaleo Brackenridge. <laughs> Tondaleo, fine. It's a colorful name. Tell us, Tondaleo. <laughs> if you don't tell the truth, you must pay the penalty. Your category, green Chinese pottery. Oh, that's my lawn suit. (laughs) Fine. Are you ready? Ready as you go, guy. (laughs) Fine. Here is your question. How many green Chinese pots in a dozen? Um, Awfully sorry. You haven't told the truth. You must pay the penalty. We want you to walk now to the rear of our stage. Pull back the curtain and tell us what you see. I don't see anything. That's right, we were going to reunite you with your sister, whom you haven't seen in 27 years, but you blew the question. We sent your sister back to Maine. But she goes to really dangerous places. Of course, yeah. And I think that that joke, as as button-pushing as it is, Mm -hmm. is bulletproof in its morality. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't know, I mean, that's... I think that might be what attracted me to, to to Carlin in the first place. This was a guy who was actually trying to, uh, for lack of a better word, say something. And I sure. felt like he was trying to teach me something. And George was a teacher. You know? He absolutely was. He was professorial on mm-hmm. stage. Um, 
I will tell you, of all the people I've known in my life, mm -hmm. I just had this conversation with a friend of mine over dinner tonight, and he said, who's the funniest person you've ever known? I said, hands down, Jonathan Winters. Mm -hmm. I never got to see Jonathan on a nightclub stage. He says, who's the funniest person you've ever seen on a stage? And I said, Carlin. Mm -hmm. And it was because he was a teacher. He was a teacher. The audience were students. Mm -hmm. They accepted that role. Mm -hmm. They never challenged that relationship. Right. And um, George always said of his comedy, he said, it is my obligation as an artist to find out where the line is, cross it, and make a few people come with me and make them glad they came. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, from my perspective, more than a few went with him, and we were all glad we went. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have of all time? Is there is there one Carlin album that that gives you everything you ever wanted from Carlin? Is there one? No, That's, yeah. no, because there are so many distinct periods. Yeah, I mean he's like Picasso. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many different, uh, you know, uh, how many different eras are there in the work of Picasso? Yeah, I mean, and Carlin is Picasso. He kept breaking new ground over and over and as soon as you thought okay i get what this guy does he reinvented again yeah yeah and not for the sake of anything other than necessity it seems like this is how i need to express myself now so here it is mm -hmm. and please accept it not please you just you're going to accept it <laughs> it's very authoritarian in that way well again i don't think he cared whether you accept sure it. Yeah, yeah yeah that makes sense that makes sense. But you but you did, because you couldn't not. How do you not? So right. magnetic. Unbelievable. And I, I don't know where that comes from. I don't know what kind of performance experience that comes from. Or if that comes from him, you know, quite clearly talking about being the class clown, needing the attention, needing to stand out, needing to survive, you know. And I don't know how autobiographical everything on class clown actually is. My assumption is pretty pretty strongly by autobiographical. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think here. Do you, because... Hmm. Hmm. I was just trying to think what my favorite my my favorite Carlin album is because it, it's hard now after having heard his last album. I do feel like I do have to go back and listen to some of the ones I skipped because I did skip a few. Well, the, the the interesting thing and the prophetic thing about that last album is how much of it is about death. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, I'd say the first half of it is all about death mm -hmm. and how long he'll give you in his phone book after you die <laughs> before he takes you out. Yes, that's right. Fantastic, fantastic! Like yeah. darkly pragmatic. <laughs> yeah, it's gorgeous stuff. Yeah. Um. Now he was brilliant to the end. Even when, uh, I, I don't know if it was the last special. I think it was the last special where he looks a little sort of puffy in the face, mm -hmm. and and you could tell he's not in the best of health. He dug down deep and delivered just gorgeous stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I, again, it it didn't it didn't hurt that it was you know posthumous, but I, I I just you know I listened a lot closer then, and I feel like I kind of grew a little bit because I'm like, oh wait a minute, I think I've been missing a couple things. It took this for me to to mm -hmm. appreciate it, you know. Um, so if 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 you're gonna recommend this out, we've already said it, but if you're gonna condense why this is so important, an album to listen to for people. If let's say somehow they've never heard George Carlin, let's say they, I wouldn't, I, mean? I wouldn't necessarily recommend that anybody start mm -hmm. their exploration of Carlin with takeoffs and put ons mm -hmm. just because it's his first album. Yeah, and I think you have to listen to it in 
the context of the larger body of work. Okay. I'm just saying don't leave it out of the larger body of work, yes. even if that may be what George would have wanted you to do. Right. Because I think as a document of great performance um, and just something that's really, really funny, it is a terrific comedy album that showed, you know, one of the most brilliant minds ever. Not even just in comedy, but mm-hmm. just one of the most brilliant minds ever at the beginning of, you know, uh, an unequaled journey. And um, it, it belongs alongside the rest of the, his body of work. And, yeah. and it's just really funny. And he's only 29 when he does it. I just did the math. So oh, really? 29, because he was born in 37, right? So he recorded this in 66. That's just kind of upsetting. Like, good on him, of course, but that's just like he's so at 29 to be that good, to have it that together. And then to not long after that, just throw it all out the window and say, yeah, I didn't know, here, here's a brand new type of comic. is A brand new type of comic who every other comic wanted to be. Well, it's interesting because, you know, Lenny reinvented himself Mm -hmm. you know a couple of times um and you know Pryor went through his reinvention Mm -hmm. and carlin went through his and again i think it's really it's interesting to study that um again i made reference to cosby i think about someone like stephen wright Mm -hmm. who was stephen wright from the first moment you saw him yeah um and I, I don't know that one is better than the other because, you know, one person sort of evolved sure. and, and, you know, became this larger, cooler, greater, more impressive, deeper thing. Um, or if it's just amazing that those guys started out at such a high level yeah. that, you know, Bill Cosby is a funny fellow, right, is, you know, you listen to it and you go, that there he is. Yeah. There's the Bill Cosby we know and love. Yeah. Which is to me just as remarkable mm-hmm. you know um this has been I, I obviously we need to do this again um be, you know when you're next available but this was this was a lot of fun and I'm, I'm glad that you sort of made me realize that i hadn't heard this whole thing and i just want to make you know like I, I only put one minute clips every 10 minutes in the show but it, this is just worth seeking out and i just want to make sure people do and try and you know listen for the things that we've talked about. Like again, I, I do think there's a strong free and influence, seek it out you know? on vinyl. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, here's the price tag. I got it for four bucks. Used. It's easy to get. It. You know. I'm curious which ones people find. If did you say this one is more or less common than the other one? This Kelly cover. Carlin, I believe, told me that she thought the reissue was rarer mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I, I truly don't know I, yeah. I mean I don't know what the print run was on, sure. on either edition mm-hmm. um, I just will tell you I have both yeah I really want the other one I really like that cover an awful lot me but too mostly because I, I do love like the face this, this artist did nail the faces those are wonderful I really but I mean I do love seeing just his cartoonish that's that's one thing you don't get here but you can hear it I mean yeah 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 his vocal range is fantastic and by the way I you know I called it out I think when you came in but mm-hmm. I, I had uh, the signed copy I have of this edition of this album mm-hmm. on the same wall with um Jonathan Winters uh uh, first album as well, mm-hmm. the one that you and Rick Overton yes. talked about, uh, uh, and look at the similarity of uh, 
the design of the reissue of Takeoffs and Put Ons mm-hmm. and that cover on Jonathan's first album. Oh, yeah, right. Okay, so now, yeah, good point. Because it's the masks, right? Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's fantastic. Well, thank you for doing this. Oh, God, my pleasure, man. Um, what, should, what should you plug? What do you want to plug? I got nothing. To, well, you know what? When do you think this is going to come out? Probably next week. Okay. Uh, next week, well, today is, what, October the... 9th? 9th, 10th, something like that. <laughs> so, then coming out, well, Thursday, mm-hmm. October 17th, even though I no longer work at IFC, mm-hmm. two shows uh, that I... I helped to develop and get on the air at IFC and uh, that I just continue to be an enormous fan of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it's Friday, October the 17th, mm-hmm. um, will be uh, the uh, new season premieres of Comedy Bang Bang with uh-huh. Scott Ackerman uh-huh. and The Birthday Boys, Both executive produced shows. by uh, Ben Stiller and Bob Odenkirk. Both brilliant friggin' shows. Upsettingly good. Um, so I would say uh, I don't have any skin in that game except mm-hmm. that uh, I love the shows and I love the people who make them mm-hmm. and uh, I just think they're super funny and people should watch them. Awesome. Uh, do you post any? Uh, well, okay, we should. They should go to McSweeney's because you are now posting about your oh, final. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and I do think that the next piece I put up will be about Carlin, which awesome. should probably coincide with the dedication. We should just mention oh, yeah. this. That uh, they are dedicating a block in, uh, 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 in on the Upper West Side of Manhattan um, that I believe was about a block from where George grew up as George Carlin Way later this okay. month in October. I think it's October 22nd. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, certainly I'll be in attendance for that event. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, So I wanted to plug that and also plug, yes, that I'm, I'm writing this column about my signed comedy vinyl uh, for McSweeney's, the first three pieces were Joan Rivers, Monty Python, and the 34-year odyssey it took to get one uh, album signed by all members of Monty Python. Jesus, yeah. And then uh, the most recent piece that went up in the last day or two was about Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the next one will be about uh, George Carlin. That's awesome. On Twitter, you're... Are you just Dan Pasternak, at enough? Dan Pasternak, D-A-N-P-A-S-T-E-R-N-A-C-K. Awesome. This has been awesome. Everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you, Jason Klom. (laughs) Which, by the way, means damp. Did you know that? Damn it. (laughs) Did we get that in the early part of this? Or were we rolling? I don't know if we did or not. But it's it's on there now. For fucking sure. I can edit it out. Yeah. So uh, so I'm just just saying that because I'm concerned (laughs) now that the chair you're sitting in is going to be uh, (laughs) soaked through with your moisture. You know what? I guess I have to keep it in since I'm keeping in me punching your lamp and threatening <laughs> to steal your robe. So um, I wouldn't uh, take the robe. I mean, look, it's a hotel room. You give a guy like me terry cloth and free lotion, bad stuff's going to happen. <laughs> that is the best way you've ever, ever ended an episode. Thank you guys for listening. And, and remember, and you can prick your finger, <laughs> but you can't finger your prick. <laughs> and have a good thing. Come.
Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. Vinyl.com.